Hey everybody and welcome to AQ's Blog and Grill. We're really excited and uh, frankly honored today to have uh, two guests. These guys have just uh, published a, a new book. It's called Blockchain Revolution. And I gotta tell you, if you're not paying attention to this, you're in trouble. The, blockchain is, is something that is happening right now and it's just gonna keep happening. And Don Tapscott and Alex Tapscott have written a fabulous book on helping us understand what some of the implications and opportunities that may be involved in the blockchain revolution. So welcome, Don. It's great to be here, as of And welcome, Alex. Delighted. Great. We have Alex on audio and Don on video and audio. So onward we go. Now, in charge of internet security here at AQ's Blog and Grill, uh, they were a little bit concerned about, you know, there's a lot of people in doing uh, imposter type things online, and this isn't healthy. So uh, the guys at security uh, added this, uh, wanted me to double check. This is the photo that they came up with of Don Tapscott. So we're we'll have to do just a quick comparison here. Wow. I, I see though, I see that top Tapscott look in the eyes. I think, I think we can verify that this is indeed Don Tapscott. Now, surely you must remember when you ran for mayor of Edmonton when this was originally. I do. I was, uh, yes, uh, thankfully for the citizens of Edmonton and for me, I did not win. <laughs> well, you've done pretty well since, so that's a good thing. Don is authored or co-authored uh, over a dozen uh, bestsellers um, in now, including Blockchain Revolution. This is going to be a big one. Uh, his co-author is Alex Tapscott, who is the founder and CEO of Northwest Passages Ventures. And uh, they've put this book together. So guys, just give us a 30,000 foot perspective on what, what is this blockchain thing? What, what's happening here? Uh, we're convinced that uh, this is nothing less than the second generation of the internet. That we've had the internet of information going back, predating that photo. And now we're getting the internet of value. Right. And that the most important technologies for companies, governments, and for that matter, the economy and society are not the, the social web or big data or mobility or the cloud or even machine learning and artificial intelligence. It's the blockchain. And essentially, um, with this uh, internet of information, when you share some information with somebody, you're actually not sending them the information, you're sending them a copy. And that, that's great, generally. Mm -hmm. But it's not so great when you start to talk about digital assets that are owned by someone and that might have some kind of uh, commercial or other value. And if I, Alan, send you some money, it's really important that I no longer have the money. And this has been called the double spend uh, problem by cryptographers for a long time. Right. Um, I don't know, Alex, you, you wanna add on to that? The one thing I'll add is only that because we don't have a native digital medium for value the way we do it for information, right. and because there's no way of guaranteeing when you send an asset that it doesn't leave a paper trail or breadcrumb trail, as Don mentioned, we rely on intermediaries like banks, like governments, like big technology firms like Apple and Google. And these inter intermediaries perform really important functions in business um, online, which is simply to establish trust, to verify the identity of parties, 
to perform the transaction logic, which is the processing and settlement and clearing right. of transactions, and to keep records. And generally, these intermediaries do an okay job, but with some pretty significant limitations. Um, for one, they are all centralized. And anything that's centralized is vulnerable to attack or hacking or failure. They capture our data, not only preventing us from monetizing it, but also potentially undermining our privacy. They exclude a lot of people from the global economy. There are two and a half billion people in the world who don't have access to financial services. They slow things down. Like when you go to Starbucks and tap your card reader, you think it's instant, but it's actually going through this labyrinthine system of intermediaries. In some... Uh, they capture an asymmetric amount of the value in the global economy. So what we have here is a, finally an opportunity uh, with a brand new technology platform for two or more parties to transact or do business, to move, store, and manage literally anything of value, as Don mentioned, not just money and financial assets, but potentially intellectual property, titles and deeds, even things like votes or identity or whole companies in a secure and private manner uh, without the need for an intermediary. And that is a profound and important innovation that is going to have huge implications for business and for society. That's going to change business models um, dramatically. I mean, it's not just re-engineering business models. You, you might have to reimagine your whole way of, of doing business. Well, that's right. And I'll just start and then I'll let Don jump into this. To be sure, it will have a huge impact on financial services. In fact, we argue in the book that in less than a decade, the entire industry will be virtually unrecognizable and every single part of that industry will be turned on its head for the better. Um, but it doesn't stop the financial services and it could actually impact the deep architecture of our institutions like the company. Don, do you have anything to add to that? Well, it's just that as we speak, um, theory is becoming reality. Um, and in the book, we talk about a whole bunch of new business models that can be adopted by every company in every industry. And we also probe the edges of the, uh, the frontier, mm -hmm. um, proposing real radical new ways of orchestrating capability in society to innovate, to create goods and services, to create wealth and to create prosperity. And one of them we called a, a distributed autonomous enterprise. And this is basically a company that has shareholders that fund it through a crowdfunding campaign, but it has no real management. It's basically software. Okay. And um, the software is given clear instructions and certain principles, and they're intelligent agents and smart contracts on a blockchain that enable all of this to work. And um, we, we struggled with whether or not to include such a radical idea and uh, we decided, what the heck, we, we need to really push people in the book. <laughs> yeah. The day the book comes out, an organization called the Distributed Autonomous Organization was launched. And it has no people. It's purely software on a blockchain. And its first job was to go and raise money. In 12 days, I haven't looked today. Last time I looked, it was over $145 million wow. U.S. dollars. Yeah. that this thing had raised. And, you know, this, this is going to go over $200 million at the current rate. A company that's the, done the largest crowdfunding campaign in history with no investment bankers um, and with no people inside, right. with no commission fees, 
so buckle up. Uh, this is going to be a really interesting time to be in business. Yeah, no kidding. Now, Alex, you come from the investment banking world. Um, how, how do you how do you see your colleagues, or how do you think your colleagues from that sector are going to react to this when you get a crowd funding uh, for over 140 million dollars in the first two weeks? I mean, how can this happen? Um, during our research, uh, you know, when we when I started this, not a single bank had. Uh, woken up to this opportunity, and now virtually every single company in the entire industry is investing heavily because they recognize that this is going to impact them. And uh, there have been many reports by banks like Santander who have said that banks could cut $20 billion from their uh, expense line just by moving stock settlements to this platform. And that's one tiny fraction of what they do. Um, what banks really should be asking themselves is how does this technology impact my role as a trusted intermediary, if trust can be syndicated or, or synthesized through technology, then does that not make me less relevant in many different areas? Mm. So there are certain parts of what banks do where they act as an intermediary that simply will not exist in the future. Now, that doesn't mean there aren't opportunities, but banks need to not think about what they do now and think about what they could do in the future right. by using this technology, which is to say, maybe, this technology can allow me to do the impossible. And I'll give you one example. Mm -hmm. NASDAQ is currently working um, with technology firms in Silicon Valley to turn the energy that's created through distributed power grids, the solar panels that people keep on the roof, yes. into tradable assets um, where you can buy and sell power, where you can negotiate price peer-to-peer without having to go through a central intermediary like a regulated utility. That's talking about a, a thing of value. It is an asset, a digital asset that's had no medium, really, uh, to enable people to trade it. And now they've decided to create that. So maybe NASDAQ's future is in the power market, not in the stock market. Right. Which, again, is that re-architecture and reimagining as opposed to just adjusting uh, or, heaven forbid, re-engineering. So, yeah, and it's a, it's a classic dilemma, the innovator's dilemma, right. which is how quickly do you cannibalize your own business or how quickly do you innovate from within? Yeah. Um, you know, we'd argue that these banks are sitting on a burning platform where the cost of staying put is greater than the cost of moving. Yeah. And they ought to embrace change. Otherwise, they'll find themselves um, out of a job in many different areas. Okay. So, Alex, I think it might have been you in the book and maybe in an interview said that, that blockchain doesn't eliminate jobs as much as it changes the definition of work. Um, can you guys unpack that for us a little bit? Uh, I, know, I know the banks are looking at cutting costs, but how do we redefine work connected to the blockchain? There will clearly be a lot of jobs from the old economy that are eliminated by this technology. That's unquestionable. And there's no evidence to suggest that there will be new industries and new job types created that will be commensurate with the ones that are lost. So this is a bit of a problem, uh, to say the least, uh, because structural unemployment, especially for youth, unless we do something about it, unless we redefine what work is, um, that's, you know, powder cake. So what we argue in the book is that likely we are going to need a new social contract in society a new understanding between all of the players about who does what and who gets what. 
we did this before when we went from agrarian feudalism to industrial yeah. capitalism. Right. Now, this is not at the core of the book. The book is really a handbook for people who want to bring about change right. with the second generation of the internet. But, you know, business can't succeed in a world that's failing. And uh, towards the end of the book, we do talk about some of these broader issues about what is to be done to ensure that this uh, second era of the internet uh, is an era uh, where the promise is fulfilled. Right. Okay. Now, will the blockchain revolution, and you guys aren't talking about the blockchain evolution, you're talking about the revolution. Is it actually going to make the sharing economy come true? Well, the sharing economy is one of those terms that's used to describe a new breed of corporations like Lyft and, and Uber and Airbnb. But it really has, those companies really have nothing to do with sharing as right. we see it. They're not sharing economy companies, they're aggregation economy companies. Consider the fact that Uber has created $65 billion of value and nobody who has participated uh, in that platform as a user or as a driver um, has seen any amount or any part of that. Right. So what if you could create a new kind of Uber, a super Uber that ran as a distributed application on the blockchain where the interface and the user experience was indistinguishable from Uber. Um, blockchains like Ethereum, Bitcoin and others have a native payment system. Mm -hmm. So the transaction could happen on a peer-to-peer -peer basis without having to rely on a financial intermediary. And um, it would get you to where you're going. And, you know, the car would have a reputation. You would have a reputation based on your past experience on this platform, which, as it happens, would be enshrined in this record of the truth, which would mean it would be a more reliable reputation score than anything we could possibly create today. Right. They could also pay for insurance, pay for fuel, negotiate liability in the event of an accident or a crash, um, and operate fully autonomously without the need for human intervention. So the net effect of that is a platform where the creators of the value get to participate in that value, yeah. where the ride could potentially be more reliable, the user experience more seamless, and the price for consumers lower. Uh, leading to benefits to all stakeholders except for the inter the intermediary who's been disintermediated. Exactly. So it's it's a win-win. I find that quite attractive. And you know, I'm I'm an entrepreneur in residence at at two incubators, and uh, you know, the the people I'm working with should be very excited about this. I think that there will be a lot of entrepreneurs who are going to like this book a lot and benefit yeah. uh, from it. There's a blockchain called Ethereum that, yes. uh, among other things, has a, a, a whole layer of software development tools that enable entrepreneurs and others to wrap social entrepreneurs to rapidly build apps on this platform. And I spoke at the Ethereum conference in London, and I don't know, there were 600 chairs in the room, and there had to be uh, another 500 people sitting on the floor everywhere. Right. And in the room... There were people developing an alternative to the music industry so that artists could actually get paid. Mm -hmm. uh, there, there, there was a, a group building an alternative to democracy where politicians would be accountable to the people who voted for them. There had to be a dozen projects underway to, to disintermediate or otherwise transform 
various parts of the financial services industry. And boy, I, I just, I haven't seen this kind of explosion, a Cambrian explosion of innovation right. in at least a couple of decades, maybe more. Uh, that's wonderful. Now, you guys close the book, and we're, we'll close the interview now. The last sentences of your book, today's leaders cannot afford to be tomorrow's losers. Too much is at stake, and we need your help. Please join us. So is this, is this Alex and Don Tapscott heading towards the, uh, the new future and leading the way? Well, we see ourselves as one of, as, as a couple of stakeholders. Um, in this ecosystem, but um, we're not trying to predict the future here. Um, you know, we think the future is something to be achieved, not predicted. Okay. And there are a lot of ways that this revolution could fall short, could not reach its potential, could right. fail to create the future that we think is possible. Um, and that means that people will need to step up. You know, technology is not a panacea for the world's problems. Right. It doesn't create prosperity any more than it destroys privacy. Um, people create prosperity. And so we're calling on all leaders in the private sector and government, entrepreneurs and developers, NGOs and citizens to, um, you know, to lead this revolution in a positive way. Um, because we do think that there is a lot at stake. Wow, very good. Don, any last words? You know, the, the, this, this first generation of the Internet of Information did lots of great things, but it did not enable us as humans somehow to create prosperity because social inequality is now growing throughout the developed world. What we think happened is that this Internet of Information that was distributed and, you know, one one to many and one to one and wasn't controlled by powerful forces and had this awesome neutrality that laid on top of a society that's anything but. Right. And it was captured, it has been captured asymmetrically by these powerful intermediaries and forces. And it's tough for me, me you know, to say that. I mean, I wrote the first bestseller about the web and business. Um, the digital economy in 94. And what, what we think is happening now is that we're getting another kick at the can. Right. And it, if we seize the time, maybe, uh, you know, this smaller world, our kids inherit will be a better world. And uh, we can solve many of the big, intractable problems that seem so difficult to, to tackle because we as humanity don't have the tools to bring our collective uh, know-how and will mm -hmm. to bear. So that's, that's a big picture, uh, the opportunity. Wow. Gentlemen, Alex, Don, thank you. Uh, to our viewers, this is a great book. We're going to be sharing six copies of it with you. Um, right. There it is, right there. I have my own copy. <laughs> Alex and I joke, the way to buy this book is in volume. <laughs> in volume, of course. Exponentially, exponential growth is what we're talking about here. So, uh, guys, again, thank you for joining us. And uh, if you're forming a movement, uh, whether you know it or not, uh, please include me uh, because I'm right with you. So thanks for your time and so long for now. Thanks, Alan. Okay. Thanks, Alan. Thanks, Alex.
KQ's Blog and Grill.